Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. I'm Carter, and today's scripture reading is awesome, and it comes to us out of Luke chapter 2 as well as Revelation 2, uh, sorry, 12, verses 2 through 5 and 7 through 10, starting in Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Flipping over to Revelation. This is the good part. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, and who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of its Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our king. When we acknowledge your supremacy, your authority in this place. In fact, Lord, we ask that you would like, turn down all the other voices and noises and all the things that come rushing in. Lord, would you help us in this moment to focus on you, to hear and listen to you. We, like the Magi, like the shepherds, want to willingly bow before you. Your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. This is all about you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. <clears throat> well, in case I'm like the only, you know, I'm the first person to do this for you, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's official. December has now rolled onto the calendar. And no matter what some of you may think, this is the actual official beginning of the Christmas season. Uh, I know that some of you have been secretly listening to Christmas music since September. You know who you are. But I'm just telling you, that's not right, okay? <laughs> Honey, that's not right, okay? Just kidding. Yeah, we, we know this is the season of 
Christmas. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you know that there's a word that often gets thrown around during this season, finds its way into Christmas cards and invitation. It's the word Advent. And we are now in the season of Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming or arrival. And for centuries, the church has referred to the weeks leading up to Christmas in this way. Advent is a time of preparation where we build excitement around Jesus coming into the world, first as an infant in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and then again someday as king, as he reunites heaven and earth under his reign and under his authority. We're going to take a look at that today. So actually, if you do need a Bible, go ahead and throw a hand up in the, in the air. Some of you around the room would love to get one to you. We want to take time as a church in these weeks to try and slow down. Even as the culture around us kind of gets wound up and, and, and starts to ramp up, we want to set aside time to, to focus and, and think about our Savior and our King, even as the media tries to sell us all the latest things, the greatest toys, the next set of clothes. What, what are the things that we're missing out on? We, we want to try to focus on Jesus in the midst of all of the noise, to make space, to listen and reflect on the greatest story ever told. Even, even as Santa Claus comes to town, along with your family, and maybe just a little bit of drama, we... As a King Jesus family, we want to let the story of Jesus in Advent shape our experience of Christmas and, and, and not the other way around. You see, because Advent is an invitation. It's an invitation to step into a story, to participate in a journey. And the thing is, it, it, we're not the primary characters of that story. Nor is it like some story of personal triumph or perseverance or self-discovery. The story that we're stepping into during Advent, it, it isn't primarily about us, but it does have profound implications for us. In fact, I kind of wonder if this is a part of the reason why our culture even continues to hold on to the Christmas story even if it does get twisted along the way. There's something deep within us that longs for something bigger, something beyond us, someone bigger, someone beyond us. It asks us, Advent, to consider taking our eyes off of our own exhausting stories and complicated journeys and to fix them on a fragile baby born in a manger. In many ways, Advent stands in contrast to so many of our American self-focused and independent ways. It tells us a story about God's love interrupting history, a story about a baby born in dependence to a, to a teenage couple pushed to the margins of society, a story of weakness that's awkward and messy and it doesn't fit in our well-groomed storefronts and Instagrammable moments. It's the story of God becoming a man, stepping into our story, into our journey to love, heal, and save us from our poverty. In the words of Paul to Titus, it's the story of God's grace appearing in person 
transformed into a Jewish rabbi who walked among us, showing us what it looks like to be the people that he created us to be. The grace of God that has appeared to all people to bring salvation. Titus 2, 11. Advent, it focuses us on God's rescue plan. It awakens us to his love. Our goal here at church this Advent season is to push us beyond our individualized, self-focused stories into the bigger picture, that we would find ourselves again, maybe even for the first time, in awe of the grandeur of this amazing, beautiful story, that we would experience the wonder of the nativity, not just the event that happened 2,000 years ago, but this ongoing living invitation. Because this story is an invitation, an invitation awaiting a response. So Luke helps us. He sets the stage for us, right? We're introduced to Mary, a young woman, likely a teenager engaged to be married with all of those dreams of of what it was going to look like to raise her family alongside of her extended family. Middle Eastern families, they functioned a lot like a small village unto themselves. She She would marry, start a family, build a life alongside of her young husband with aunts and uncles and grandparents surrounding them in support, a life of family in a small town where everybody knew everybody. And Joseph, Joseph, a a young man ready to work in his father's trade, also surrounded by his brothers and uncles and family who would help him get this young family off the ground. Their their home would be built alongside their their kin. And, and, And beyond that, maybe he would have the dreams of someday building his own house with his own two hands, his kids running around with cousins and neighbors surrounded by family. But suddenly, in a moment, all of that changes. The angel says she's pregnant, miraculously, impossibly pregnant. But who would believe it? And the law of Moses would call her an adulteress, worthy of stoning. But the angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And again, who would believe him? Miraculous pregnancy? Angels? The son of God? Would he believe it if somebody came to him with that story? Not likely. They would be rejected by much of their family. They would be thrown out of the synagogue, driven from their community. Their dreams would be turned to darkness, the story seemingly imploding. And now they would be alone with only a promise to hold on to as they faced a difficult and uncertain future. And therein, Therein lies the invitation for us. The sudden loss of a job, that horrible diagnosis, 
that pain and trauma from your past that's now flooding into this Christmas, that feeling and experience of loneliness. Advent is a time to consider a nativity story that meets us in our moments of loneliness meets us in our fear, in our pain, in our hopelessness with nothing but a promise to hold on to. And in that moment of darkness, Advent points to the horizon. Joseph takes his pregnant betrothed to Bethlehem to register with his family, strikingly all alone. And when they get there, there is no room, no room in their ancestral family home. A people famous for their hospitality, no room, no room with their family, no room in the inn. There is no space. So the pregnant teenage mom is given a stable. The young couple become first-time parents in a stinky cave behind an inn. You know, when we take this moment to set aside our beautiful ornamental nativity scenes like the one that your grandma's got up on the fireplace mantle. You know that one? Or we, or we set aside those amazing visions of stained glass windows that, that show this beautiful moment and we allow ourselves to imagine a teenage mama lying on a bed of hay and a panic-stricken new dad, the story seems kind of desperate, maybe even a little hopeless. It's like we're witnessing a moment of neglect and injustice. Where are their parents? Where is their family? And where, that big community, where is the support of that community that was there? Where is God? Where is hope? But as with every good story, the darkness seems darkest just before the dawn. Before the angels sing, before the shepherd comes, before the magis fall and worship, there's just simply this baby, right? Swaddled as a foreshadowing in lamb's clothes laying in a feeding manger. A baby who likely cried out in the darkness, lit only by a fire off to one side. A baby who was just as fragile as any other baby ever born, needing to be fed, needing to be changed. A baby just like every other, and yet a baby unlike any other. John the writer of the apocalyptic book we call the book of Revelation. He says that even as Mary was crying out in pain while she was giving birth, there was a completely different story unraveling just beyond the eyes of mortal men. You see, her cry, her cry summoned a dragon you know it's going to be a fun Christmas when you got a dragon in your activity scene. John tells us in Revelation 12, verse 2, she was pregnant and cried in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, and it 
tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Just when we think that this story is at its darkest, we realize we have no idea. Behind the veil of our reality sits a much larger story. Behind mere flesh and blood sits the battle for our reality, a war for who would reign. Because, as it turns out, Advent isn't just a season to remember when Jesus was born, when God came to rescue us. It's a season to remember when God went to war against darkness itself. It's a season to remember when God went to war against our ancient enemy, the dragon. Because this isn't the first time we've met the dragon, right? There was another young couple, remember them? Many, many years before, innocent in their bliss, naked and unashamed, in a world full of yeses, they had just one no, but of course they couldn't resist. The dragon's lie was just too tempting, too close to the truth. So they took of the forbidden fruit and they fell for the lies of the dragon, that serpent of old. Genesis 3, 14 says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so is set in motion an unseen war between God, humanity, and the serpent, the dragon. Humanity tricked into giving its allegiance to God's enemy. It sets out on this broken journey to find purpose and belonging and to find family, to get their family back again. But we're weak. And we're continuously prone to serving God's enemy sometimes by accident and sometimes on purpose. Our journey seems to be one of continuously taking one step forward and three steps back. But our God, our God will not give up on his plan, pointing forward to a day when one who would come would crush the serpent's head. Any, um, any Lord of the Rings fans out here? Oh, yes. Man, I love this church so much. At the last gathering, it was like half the room. I, you know, this is, you're, you're my people. Thank you. Okay. Whether it's the books or the movies, they're just so awesome. Okay. But there's this moment, right? This moment. It's at Helm's Deep. If you guys think, remember back to it. This impenetrable fortress. It's the last defense of this kind of odd collection of humanity behind the walls. And it gets broken through. It gets broken through. The Urukai, they're, they're, they're pouring in, and Aragorn and the king, they're, they're doing one light, last like fateful push through. And as, as Aragorn is, is sitting there, he recalls Gandalf's almost prophetic promise. Look to my coming at first light on the first day. <laughs> at dawn, look to the east. And sure enough, 
when it seems like all hope is lost. Dawn's light comes through the open window. Hope is coming. It's an epic scene. My friends, the nativity scene is that scene. The moment where things are at their darkest and and Gandalf crests the ridge and the light comes pouring down behind him and all the riders are coming with him to the rescue. Sorry, I'm geeking out just a little bit here. But the birth of Jesus, it's, it's more than just creating an exit strategy for humanity. It's more than just an escape plan for us. The nativity was the divine moment where God crested the hillside and the sun began to break through the darkness. It was the moment where the war between light and dark turned in our favor. The late Eugene Peterson, he wrote this great book called Reversed Thunder and it walks through the book of Revelation He engages like our imaginations and prayer. And and when he gets to chapter 12 in the text, he has this to say about John's words. It is John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of Matthew and Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness, nor domesticated into drabness, nor commercialized into worldliness, The splendors of creation and the agony of redemption combine in this event, this center where God in Christ invades existence with redeeming life and decisively defeats evil. It is John's genius to take Jesus in a manger attended by shepherds and wise men and put him in a cosmos attacked by a dragon. Our response to the nativity cannot be reduced to shutting the door against a wintry world, drinking hot chocolate, and singing carols. Rather, we are ready to walk out the door with high praises of God in our throats and a two-edged sword in our hands. Yes, this is Advent, friends. This is that moment. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I love me some snow. I love snow and hot chocolate and Christmas carols. I love it all. But my friends, they don't actually have that much to do with Christmas. This is the moment. Christmas is the moment where Jesus steps into our story as a serpent-crushing cosmic king. That's Christmas. This nativity scene in the revelation of John, it provokes us to consider that the story of Mary and Joseph, it's only the very visible tip of a much larger story that's been playing itself out generation after generation as we sit in darkness, as as every generation has sat in darkness. Wars, famines, global injustice, and the sudden loss of a spouse, a sickness in our child that won't get better, a financial situation that will not improve. And those were all just prayer requests from this last week. We're all looking for a miracle 
We're all waiting for the dawn. The nativity says, Peterson, is that moment where, where God in Christ invades existence with redeeming life and decisively defeats evil. John goes, goes on to sum up like the entire life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the next verses. But carrying on in verse 7, he says this. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, they fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and of the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. My friends, the enemy has begun to lose to lose his authority, to lose his power, to lose his control over life and death. The battle in heaven has been won on earth through the person and work of Jesus. The dragon's defeat, it, it was promised eons past, but it is coming. And the key to that victory, it came in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem to two wide-eyed young people 2,000 years ago an actual historic reality set in a much broader cosmic story. And it's essential that we allow ourselves to feel the weight of that reality as we in hope look to rescue, as we look to the horizon. Mary and Joseph, they, they still had to face the loneliness, right? It was still there. The fear, the anxiety, all the things that came with their major, their major moment, it was still there. The darkness did not vanish. I mean, even after the angels and the shepherds and the magi, the cross still came. The suffering still came. John anguishes in Revelation 12, verse 12, and he says this, woe to the earth, because the devil has got down and he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. We, we live in the wake of that reality. Hope is on the horizon, but there is still suffering in the valley. I recently heard a, a, a critique of Western church culture by the CEO of Barna, David Kinneman. It was a powerful testimony he was sharing. Kinneman, he lost his wife to cancer about three years ago at the age of 46, and he's been raising his three kids in the wake of that loss. And he explained this to us as we were sitting there. He said, the church has done a great job over the years equipping people on how to be successful, but it's done a poor job in equipping people on how to suffer. And I think he's right. I think he's right. The thing is, Advent, the nativity, 
It gives us a lens for understanding and seeing suffering. And Advent, it has the, the potential to create enough space to allow us to experience the reality of human pain while looking to the horizon for our hope. Because our hope has come and our hope is coming. Daryl Johnson, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, he writes this. The war in heaven is won through an event on earth, through the birth of a child on earth. The war is won through the life of that child. The war is won through the preaching, teaching, and healing ministry of that child. The war is won through the crucifixion of that child. The war is won through the resurrection of that child. The war is won through the ascension of that child to the throne. And that child was Jesus, born into the world to be king of the world. And he's won heaven's war on earth. Amen? As we wrap up, there are three ideas, three things that I, I think could help us in this next season as we kind of think about setting aside that interior space for Advent. Three ways that we can fix our eyes on Jesus this season as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. First, and... And this one might seem a bit obvious, but I think it's imperative that, I just, that we just say it out loud. We, we need to see Jesus as the center of our story. And this can be tricky because in this day and age, there's so many things competing for the center of the story. And our society all around us keeps wanting to shove us into the center of the story. The problem is when we do that, none of the story makes any sense. We find out that we're not strong enough. We're not able enough to save ourselves. We, we get all these ideas about right and wrong that are confused and conflicting. And our sense of identity, it gets all messed up as we try to take responsibility of determining who we are and what we should be doing in this world. In the 16th century, Nicholas Copernicus, he had this crazy idea. You see, for centuries, the church and society had assumed that the earth was at the center of our story. It placed humanity at the axis of reality. The problem was, as science began developing better and better ways of viewing the stars, mathematicians had to come up with all of these like crazy and increasingly more complicated equations to make sense of our solar system. Enter the Copernican Revolution. Copernicus suggested that actually the sun was at the center of our universe. And suddenly, all of those complex equations started making a lot more sense. I wonder today how much of our reality is so confused because we simply keep placing ourselves at the center of the story. We're still stuck in that old way of thinking and putting us, putting humanity in the center. What if this Advent we intentionally created space to place Jesus at the center? 
to see Jesus as the epicenter of everything that we're doing, to ask Jesus how we should respond to people around us, to ask Jesus who he wants us to be, to ask Jesus how we should step out in generosity and love and acts of kindness, to ask Jesus who he wants us to be. What if this Advent, we simply placed him back in the center? Second idea that might help us step into the invitation of Advent this year is truly seeing Jesus as our hope amid suffering. Again, this might seem obvious to those of us who've been following Jesus for any length of time, but isn't it amazing how hard it can be to turn to Jesus on the 30th time? Yeah, you know, when things get rough at first, it's like, yeah, we go to him, we pray once, twice, couple days, couple weeks, but after a little while, it gets so hard because why? We don't know how to wait. Am I alone? It's so hard. We struggle with God's timing. We struggle with waiting on God and letting him be the one in charge. I wonder to myself how many times I've taken situations into my own hands after crying out to God one moment too soon. What if, what if I was willing to allow the God of the universe his timing? What if I allowed the spirit to just go a little deeper into my soul, deeper into my pain, to allow myself to sit in my suffering, with my suffering, and allow God to even be king in my suffering. Suffering is is often the scalpel that does the deepest work in our journey, isn't it? As we become who God has created us to be. But the problem is, is that suffering stinks. It's horrible. And when it comes to to character formation, our culture has equated pain and discomfort with failure. So the moment something gets hard, we're like, ah, God can't be in this. You know, the thing is, is that there's so many other parts of our life that don't work that way, right? It's like, you want to get in shape? There's no pain, no gain, right? Like, that's the way it works. Or if if you want to become better in your vocation, you got to study, Or if you want to become better at art or music, you got to rehearse. All of those things, they take time and moments of like little s suffering as we grow into who it is that we want to be. And so it is with that most essential part of our being, our soul. It takes practice and pain to become. Let me say that again. It takes practice and pain to become. But we hold on. We hold on because even in the midst of the pain, we know Jesus is there. He's with us in our suffering, with us in the waiting. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. Third, and finally, as we step into the invitation at Advent, we need to remind ourselves that the infant in the manger is more than a sacrificial lamb. He is gloriously that, but he's more than that. We need to see Jesus 
as our reigning king. How does the manger change the cosmos? How does good triumph over evil? How does the dragon finally get slain? Jesus. John's revelation expands our nativity scene as the baby becomes our cosmic hope. And we suddenly realize that this king reigning in power is what we've been longing for all along. John's nativity challenges us to view this world differently. We are not battling against flesh and blood. No, we're battling in the spiritual realm. We're battling on our knees as we submit to Jesus and say, yes, Lord, you be king. You reign in my life. We, we fight the fight by, by being on our knees and submitting to our king, even in the midst of suffering, because we do live in contested space with a dragon who is full of fury. But our king is a conqueror. And Jesus began a work when he walked this earth dismantling all of the brokenness and chaos of the dragon, of the serpent, of our enemy. He began a work and that work continues on even now through his people, through us, the family of Jesus today. Friends, what if this Christmas we set aside that space We set aside that time to reflect on a Jesus who is conquering our enemy. On a nativity scene with a dragon in it. Would you stand to your feet, please? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.